Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And there was a time in this country, a long time ago, when reading wasn't just for fags, and neither was writing. People wrote books and movies, movies that had stories, so you cared whose ass it was and why it was farting, and I believe that time could come again. Welcome to the Think Liberty Podcast. On today's episode, we have a very, very special guest, one of my favorite libertarians of all time, Mr. Larry Sharp, libertarian from New York. Larry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad you had me on. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Well, uh, you and I, the last time we spoke, uh, I think we've seen each other maybe once or twice in person since uh, the National Libertarian Convention, but uh, that's the last time we had a a decent interview, and by that time, you were leading up to your gubernatorial race in New York, and uh, so fill us in on what you've been doing since then, um, and then then we'll kind of dive back into how how that race went and some of the things you learned, but tell us what have you been doing since then? you know, what I, one of the reasons why I ran for the VP slot in 2016 was I wanted to make sure when the election's over that we didn't just fall apart and just collapse, which is what happened after 2016. Mm-hmm. Libertarians have a lot of failure in our, in our blood. We've been failing for 40-some-odd years. So once we put all our hopes on one person and once that person fails, we start eating each other up. So we do. We, be, we become cannibalistic. And I knew that. So after 2016, I put out a video saying I was going to do something great to keep us going, to create another mission. And that year after, within about six months or so, I decided to run. So I ran for governor early in 2017 to give us another mission so we can keep going so we wouldn't eat each other. And once the election was over in 2018, I didn't stop. I'm still going. I'm trying to keep us, you know, keep us going, keep us together. The glory of my my run, which some people say it's, it's us getting ballot access in New York for the first time ever, which that is, absolutely, that's a great thing. But there's a bigger thing, and that is I built out infrastructure that didn't exist. I always wanted a policy library. Now I have one. I always wanted a bunch of people you know, who knew how to do things like call the press and bug you and people like you and go off and create events and things of that sort. And now I have that. Fundraisers, people know how to do things. And so a lot of the people from my campaign or in other campaigns now who are doing other things. And they're also helping me as I move forward, right? After I left, I'm still out there doing um, events across my state. Um, I crossed all 62 counties last year. I'm doing it again this year because we're not finished. I can't just say, you know, go and then I'm done. I mean, in reality, if I had won, magically, if I'd won last year, I'd still be fighting to fix New York. It wouldn't all of a sudden be better because I won. So I'm now fighting, but just, not from the governor's house, I'm fighting from my house. So I'm still fighting, it doesn't change. So my team is still growing, I'm still crossing, I'm still gaining more people to see, you know, what we have to change in this state. And more importantly, I'm building out local infrastructure. I'm literally getting out and creating local county organizations that are libertarian. In New York State, before the election, I had 18 out of 62 counties. We're working now on over 40. So. I hope by the end of the year to have all 52. 
that every single oh, okay. county will have at least one organization in it, and that would be massive. That would no. be massive. Yeah. And, and, and Larry, do you mean, do you mean developed like a libertarian uh, development groups or full affiliates where they have a structure? Full affiliates. Uh, yeah. Yes. Full affiliates. I, I, look, what we, ha what we lack in the party and the movement as a whole is talent, right? We have talent, but it's very limited because most people have, after 45 years of failure have walked away from us. Many have. Um, some are still with us, but most have walked away. So yeah, ex explain for everybody who's listening who I don't care if they're an LP hater. Uh, some of them are. <laughs> some of them are. I get beat up all the time. Yep, exactly. And they're former. They're former. They, they they were in the party before. They tried it. They just hated it. Uh, for, for you know for some some reason. Maybe 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 Smith didn't win chair. I don't know. Um, but for anybody who's listening, like why should they? Why should why why is this so important to get affiliates in every single county? Because like what can that mean when it comes down to election time, say twenty twenty? Lay lay that out for us. We have a lot of issues in the party, as you know. Um, one of them is we have a lot of jerks in our party. Uh, people who just are still here because everyone else is left. So who's left? The local jerk who's a petty tyrant who only cares about themselves being popular and they can't stand that we grow. They hate it. They don't want us to grow. They want us to be uh, their little kingdom. Uh, those days are over. And when I say that, people get upset, but I don't really care because those days are over. And so you have two choices. Choice number one is you can sit in your small county affiliate and try to be the coolest guy around and you're going to be replaced. Because as we bring more people in, you're going to be kicked to the curb. Or you can be smart, and when new people come in, train them, teach them, and show them what it's like. Because when new people come to the party, they're usually not good libertarians. Why? Because they, they're new to the party. So I hope you will begin to train them. People often don't. So why does it matter? Because if you actually build out the party and the right people come in, we will then have the ability to get press, the ability to raise money the ability to do outreach, to knock on doors, to actually turn our nation around. Right now, we have a situation to where we're going further left and further right than we've ever been. And when that happens, no one's coming back in the middle. Our liberty movement is the, is the only actual answer, right? It's the only way that people can actually come together and be left or right as long as you're not using force. The entire movement is actually about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and the concept of mutual respect. If we actually get those concepts, we can come back together again. We just gotta stop being jerks about it. So why should you come back? Because if you don't come back, you can hope that your Republican or Democratic Party will fix something. They won't, you are fooling yourself. If they were gonna fix something, they would have done it already. They're not going to. So you can go back and hope, or you can come back to us and hope. And at least we are on the move. At least you can see us growing. At least you have some actual hope with us. And if more of us show up, we'll get more stuff done. And Larry, you made a big difference in New York, as you kind of you briefly touched on earlier. But can you kind of can you break it down for everybody of why the why the number of votes that you got and what it did for the libertarian movement and liberty libertarian party in New York? Like how one person made a giant difference. And I know you have a huge team, and, and your team is great. But obviously, if you weren't spearheading it, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, well, this is the point I bring up always, right? We always talk about the idea of, um, you know, all that matters is, you know, the right platform. And no, that isn't. I mean, that stuff matters, but that isn't critical. People come to our movement. Sorry, the vast majority. There are some exceptions. But the vast majority of people come to our movement because they heard somebody speak. 
right? It was Ron Paul or Harry Brown or in New York State recently, Larry Sharp or whomever it was. Someone, they heard somebody speak, Gary Johnson, that was me, right? And they said, huh, who are these guys? And then they came to us. They come for an individual. I hope they stay for the platform and the, and the, and the uh, principles. But to get them in, it takes a personality, somebody who can talk and, and move people. That's what I was able to do in New York last year, right? I was able to bring people to the party. But you were able to do something even more critical, right? I mean, talk about the numbers and what that meant. Yes. Um, New York State's very odd. New York State, you only get ballot access one way, and that is if a gubernatorial candidate gets 50,000 votes in that election. Literally, we could have two libertarian senators, and Gary Johnson could have won New York State in 2016, and we would still not be a party. Doesn't matter. The only way we, Gary Johnson could have been like the president, we, wouldn't be, we still wouldn't be a party. Doesn't matter. The only way we do in New York State is if the governor's candidate gets 3,000 votes. That has never happened in the history of New York State until recently. I got officially almost 100,000 votes. The reality That's is amazing. I actually got more. I got more because the ballot was set up against me. I only say this because people who supported me, some of them wish I'd gotten more. This is to give people a warm, fuzzy feeling for those who supported me. I was the only candidate, and this was done purposefully, on a separate column. Everybody else was on one column. I was on the other. Some of the machines couldn't read that column, so all those votes avoided. Yep. Second, I was the only one on the same line as somebody else. And people actually circled both, thinking that she was my lieutenant governor. Those are all voided votes. And there were over, almost 200,000 voided slash blank votes for the governor's candidate. So at least 100,000 of those are mine. So if you supported me, I didn't win because I lost by too many votes. But at least you can feel better and have a warm, fuzzy feeling knowing that I actually probably got more like 200 or 300,000 votes. Yeah. How long does that last then? So now that you've got you've gotten you guys you've gotten New York over the threshold, how long does that last for you guys? And what well, do you have to do to maintain it? It will last forever. And here's the reason. I'm not quitting. All I have to do is get fifty thousand votes every single time, every four years. And I've already I've already more than doubled the number of, of registered libertarians in my state. I only had eight thousand in my entire state last year. Now we already have over twenty thousand. Our goal is to have a hundred thousand. What would 100,000? Why, why is that number significant? Because no, actually, once we get about 25 to 30,000, we're set. Because if 25 or 30,000 are registered libertarians, we'll break 30,000 votes every single time. How do I know that? That's, it's about double of all the other small parties, conservative party, green party. If they have 50, they get about 100, they have 100, they get about 200. That's how it works. So if we have 25,000, we'll get 50. But I'm not even planning for that. I'm working for 100,000. I only need 50,000 votes. If I have 100,000 registered libertarians, I'll be fine. So would that mean you would have to run or somebody else would have to run as governor again and you're just kind of play that Whoever game? Whoever runs as, as long as we get 50,000 votes, that's what matters. Yep, 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 okay. Yep. But, but my goal, as, you, as, as I've mentioned, is to build out all the local affiliates. I am literally out there now going out there raising money for other people, promoting other people giving up my team to other people, giving up my policy library to other libertarians. I'm supporting other people because we do not have a culture of that at all. We have a culture of some guy decides to run, he fails, he says, libertarians suck, he walks away and that's the end. That's our culture. 
I'm breaking that culture. Now I run, I'm not done, and I'm helping, and I'm supporting. We don't support each other. I'm out there literally raising money for other people. I'm out there showing you can do it. When you need me to show up, I show up. Why? Because I want you to. When you run and you don't show up, I can now point my finger at you because I've done it. If I do it, I can point my finger at you. Where does all of your optimism come from, Larry? Because a lot, a lot of other people, like you just have described in the party, are uh, you know when they just part part of it. We just want to be left alone too. So, and a lot of people are introverts. But like, where does it come from? You, How, what what keeps you going like this all the time? There is no other option. There isn't. There's no other option. It's this or I surrender. That's it. There's no other option. What am I going to do? Go vote Democrat or Republican? How? What's that going to do? Leave the country? Is that what I'm going to do? Yeah. Leave the country? I mean, that's my other option. Right, mm-hmm. I can either I I can I can pack up and go to someplace else and and hope they're not as bad, or I can try to change it. Yeah. I have two kids. I don't. I, I want my kids to grow up in a. I want my kids to grow up in a in a in a non police state. Right. Yeah. I, I, no, absolutely. I think it's admirable. What is uh exactly? So has this become basically your full time job? I mean, have you have you kind of shifted and has that been sort of been one of the best things about it is that it's allowed you to like now Larry's like a full time activist. He's figured out how to how to how to live doing this. Is that where you're? No. At? Oh my God, no! I got my ass kicked last year. Um, I literally decided to go without a salary for a year and a half. Um, my finances are a disaster, but I did it on purpose. Because everyone always tells me, I don't have time or I got to work. And I say, I don't care, then don't run. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. Either, and let me be very clear about, about running. And this is a big, a big gap in the libertarian movement. And I'm going to tell you where I stand. You will hear many people say, we got to run now as many people as we can. We need people on the ballot. That is a terrible idea. It is hurtful. It's a horrible idea. A lot of candidates is bad. It's not even not good. It's hurt. It's hurtful. Why is that? If you throw a bunch of them on the ballot, several things happen. And, and by the way, the argument is it's branding. That's a bunch of horseshit. No one knows what libertarian is. Well, there's a libertarian on the ballot. So what? So they can ignore it? Does it mean anything? It's useless. But here's what happens. 400 people run. None of them have teams. So they're all abandoned. So they all suck. So they all fail. So they all hate the party and they walk away. Not just that, they have no support. So they're bad at it. When they go out and talk, they sound like idiots. So we look stupid. Nothing but bad. Not just that, we have limited resources. So the money mm-hmm. gets given to everybody else and not to the co-people who can do well. Not just that, we have limited resources on bodies. So now one or two of them have a, a campaign manager. That's another person who doesn't have one. Instead of running 400, let's run 40 with 10 people on each team. This way we build out teams, support the candidates. They can do what they need to do. But it's more important. With this idea that what we need is someone who can, you know, be principled or, or, or preach the message. That's nice. I agree. And I want that. But here's what's more important. Several things. Number one, can you take off at least the equivalent of three full days every week, whether that's weekend, weeknight, whatever, and campaign. If you can't, don't run. You are wasting our time and money. Can you take an emotional punch, meaning things that go completely wrong and fail, meaning that the system is against you and get back up? If you can't, please don't run. 
You are wasting our time and money. Can you take a stab in the back from the people who are supposed to support you and get back up and give them a knife and say, I'm sorry, this is your property. Can you do that? If you can't, then please don't run. You are wasting our time and money. If you can't build a team of at least three people to get out there and work with you, please don't run. You are wasting our time and money. You must be able to do those things or you are not a good candidate. In addition to that, please be able to speak well and be principled. One thing you didn't mention was money. So talk about that. How much, uh, is, there, is there a certain threshold do you think, like let's just say for, if you're running for a house, a state house seat, is there a certain threshold do you think somebody should start out with or they should have a goal? Or, I mean, that's, I mean that, I, all of what you said makes 100% sense to me, and I agree with it. But uh, we're talking about the money because, I mean, we're always up against these, these absolute parties. Yeah. Let me, I, you know, it's obvious, and I should have said it, but in my head it was obvious. Thank you for bringing it up. You have to understand that you have to raise money. If you're one of those people who says, I don't need to raise money, please don't run. You are wasting our time and money. You have to be able to raise money. Now, how much? You're not going to be able as a libertarian to raise as much as the, the big boys. You don't actually don't have to. It's not required. But you have to raise some money. And there's many reasons why you're going to do this. The first one is, if you raise money, people see you as legitimate. And that seems wrong, but it's true. If you look and say, how much you've raised? F uh, you know, 500 bucks and your opponent's raised a million? No one pays attention to you. Right? No, but so you've got to be coming in the area of yours. The Republican in my race raised three million. I raised half a million. So I'm in the area. Good enough. Would yep. I like to raise three million? Absolutely. But yep. I got a half a million. Not bad. The Democrat weighs 12 million. And he already had like 10 million in his pocket before he even started. So, <laughs> so he raised 12. So you don't have to raise as much as them. But you got to be in the world. You got to be in their ballpark somewhere, somehow. And so, you, of course, you got to ask for money. Yeah. Talk about how, talk about some strategies that a libertarian can, uh, somebody who's just running for the first time, any, any kind of creative ideas that you have that they can Absolutely. do. Absolutely. There raise, are many of them. The first thing is realize, being a, being a libertarian, you have an advantage. And that is, you don't have to raise money only locally. About half of my um, fundraising came from out of state. About half. That's a wow. lot. Mm -hmm. And why? Because, again, if we don't have 18,000 candidates, then that's okay. If we only have 20 or 40 or 100, something like that, what does that mean? That means most people in their own area aren't going to have a libertarian to support. And if you don't have libertarian to support, guess what? You can give it to someone else who's running. Mm -hmm. Add on top of that, you don't have to have a team that's in your state. About half of my team was not in my state. That was also part of the deal because I have limited um, talent in my state and I'm trying to build out people that now in the future can go do other things with other people. And there are many people right now who have picked up people from my team who now know what to do. One thing else with my team is I didn't fire anybody for incompetence. So when people made mistakes, I kept them on so they could learn and be better and fix things the next time. How did the structure of your team operate? You know, did you guys, I mean, what was, the, what, was, what was the application you guys were using to talk? Was it on the phone? Were you guys having an yeah. in-person? When you talk about, you know, if you, had a, if you had a network of people out of state, how did that work? And, like, can you describe the structure for us? Sure. It was heavily Zoom and Slack. 
those two things we used more than anything else, was Zoom and Slack. Those must be mm-hmm. our biggest things. And I'm, look, I'm a libertarian in my life, right? I teach post-industrial leadership, which means I need to give freedom to people to do things. You know, you find a lot of people who are very concerned about controlling every aspect. That's old-style industrial leadership. It's not how I work. In fact, I was so loose on many of my things, people made a lot of errors. We tried to, tried to fix them. I would be online, and I'd see something, and it would be brilliant. And I had said it. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I'd look at it and go, wow, I'm brilliant. Someone else wrote it in my name. Fine. People would <laughs> answer questions in my name. People would post things in my name all the time. And I was like, wow, I said that? I'm brilliant. I didn't say it. People would write blogs in my name. Fine. That's why I put you in charge to do these things. You can do things great. I, early on, initially in the campaign, one of the reasons why I felt so early was so I could spend a lot of time with the marketing um, and branding and social media teams in the first couple of weeks so they could ask me questions, understand how I answered, talk okay. about what was important so they could kind of find my voice. And many of them did. To this day, people still write in my voice. Right. Even right now, my, um, my, my Facebook page, my social media, only maybe one third of stuff posted is me posting. Yeah. 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 No, but it certainly seems like you. Absolutely. Okay. So, so a couple weeks hanging out with your team uh, very closely and then slowly just yep. kind of let the reins go. And, and then I had work. seven directors and I spent time with those directors and the directors spent time with the rest. Directors of what? Describing for us like the social sure. media, meet, social yeah. media director, events director, every director I needed, right? Communications director, whatever I needed, I'd have different directors. And they also helped me to change and shift what they needed. They would say, look, you know, we can't do, you know, whatever. Twitter had to be one person or two people. Instagram had to be three people. Facebook had to be seven people. And they were telling me how we had to build the team out as it went. And I, I almost never said no. I was like, okay, we need seven people to find them. And sometimes what I did is I'd say, if you need me, use me. And what they would do was they would set up a phone call. Many people have access to my calendar. I had access to my calendar. Even more, even some students to this day do. So they would literally put stuff on the calendar. Larry, phone call with media team. Okay, I'm talking that day. So I'd pop up, get, get another call with the media team, and I would pump whatever they wanted me to pump to get people excited. The thing to remember about a campaign, and I learned this the hard way when I first started, it's not a business. You can't run it like a business. It's not. A campaign is a passion project. Very different, meaning it's all about the passion, it's all about the mission, it's all about the candidate, and if the candidate begins to walk away, the mission begins to collapse. If the mission isn't clear, it begins to collapse. It doesn't matter. This is a passion project first, business is second. Yeah, yeah. How did your team take it when, um, you know, you didn't win, but then did they, did everybody still see it as a victory because you, you could catapult the, the Liberty movement in New York? Oh my God. The, the team does. Um, but, uh, the team does, but the Libertarian party, I mean, kind of does, kind of does it. The amount of people, who, the amount of people who just always took a, a raging dog on me was insane. They're like, Larry, I got 2%. He's the worst guy ever. He's terrible. It took, it took I know. Long. Which yeah. I knew. I mean, I knew that was going to happen. I mean, I, look, I knew that I was going to get no support from the Libertarian Party. I didn't expect any. I knew yeah. that I would get very little. I knew that. And I knew all the idiots who were like, we just want to be mad at people. I knew they would take a dump all over me afterwards. I knew that. The only thing that yeah. bothered me is it did bother my team because people really busted their rump, right, to, to make things better and to, and, and to make things great. And the advantage is many of them are having other successes now. 
so it makes it good. I've, I've tried to use my campaign as a springboard for others to do good, and I think that has happened, and that's the advantage. Yeah, one, one of those examples is Deborah Altman. I had, her on the podcast. I had her on the podcast a few weeks ago, and, and she had a really great story. I mean, she was one of those gals you could just wind up and let loose, and she would just talk and talk and talk, and she had so many good points. Um, how were, were you involved with her, with her at all? Of course, she ran Staten Island for me. Yeah. And the funny oh, part is, we, we had a Staten Island party mm-hmm. that did almost nothing, but she just got to go over and just was a powerhouse. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And then she won. Yeah, now she's on the and council seat. Yep. Absolutely. It, yes. Yeah. Do you have any, is there anybody you could tell us about that is headed towards 2020, just in New York alone? That yes, Dwayne Brinkler right now is running in, in, in western New York. I've done two fundraisers for him again. I will do it again. I'll be out there again coming up here. I'm trying to support him. He, a, a bunch of people on my team from western New York are on his team now. So, yes, he's running against Chris Collins, and for those of you who aren't in New York, may, may or may not know, he's a Republican in a red district who's indicted for corruption. And he may, and he may still run even indicted, which, wow. which gives us a chance to win in a red district. Is that going to be a, only a – are they running a Democrat, or is that simply a – Democrat a, will also run, yes, because the Democrat – this is a very red district in western New York, and a Democrat almost won. I think Collins won by like 5 or 6% in a super red district. So now, because again, he's, he's clearly corrupt, but yeah. that doesn't stop him. I mean, it's New York State, corrupt is the norm. So he's still running. So until they put him in jail, he'll probably still run. So when that happens, we have a guy, Dwayne Whitmer, who's running against him. The hope is Collins will run and Dwayne can do very well and maybe even possibly split the vote enough to get to eke out a victory. But for yeah. sure, it'll make impact, but hopefully squeak out a victory. Mm-hmm. Just uh, let's drill down on like one of those fundraisers. How, how how does somebody get one of those going? Like, are you guys are you guys pulling up registration records of, of libertarians and in, in that particular district, and then doing like a phone banking exercise, and then you know going out that I way? I wish we were better at that. This is a skill set that we're still learning. This is my entire point, right? Most of us we do most of ours through email blasts and through um, Facebooking and uh, Facebook ads. That's the most common way, and, and just people who we know. We have started to do some phone banking, but the problem is we have no culture of it. So it's difficult right. for us. It's difficult for us to get it together, difficult for us to figure it out, and then we do it for two days, and then we stop. So we're getting better and better at it, but we're not great at it. It's a very valid point. It's a skill set we have to exercise more, and that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get guys like Dwayne to get going, because the people who will get better with him will be even better the next time and the time after, and we'll get accustomed to it. Most of the people who are talented with this, they're on a Democrat or Republican train. They're not on our train. Right. right. Are you, so like a, for that email list, is that, was that a lot of that generated from your campaign alone? Of course. Or, or, yeah, I was going to say, if you don't have the database there yet. No, but what we, what we will often do is, you know, um, a lot of people get mad at me for lots of reasons. Um, most of the time because uh, I don't like Larry because he's not the libertarian that I am or whatever that is. But when they ask for help, I will very often help them, even though they were just literally taking a massive dump on me in public, you know, a week ago. I'll still do it because I see the movement as a family. And we fight, but you're still my brother or my sister, so I'll still help you when you need me. So I still do it. And very often, once I do that, people will at least, you know, they'll still hate me, but they just do it quietly. Sure. <laughs> I'll accept that. Fine. Maybe quietly. Fine. Whatever. So, right. So 
So that's just hate right. requirement. Um, but um, but no, I mean, I've actually in in a couple cases, I've uh, you know looked at where my my people come from, and I will send an email on their behalf to the people in my list, the, who are in their area. Yeah, to see if they'll give. What what is uh one one thing I've been dying to ask you because it was such a disappointment for me and it wasn't it wasn't so much you it was more of the interviewer well you were the interviewee was when you were on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah um how did you feel like that went in hindsight and did, did you no, have that was for- absolutely my fault one hundred percent my fault as I look back and I didn't get it. we were talking past each other and the reason why is and for those of you who've campaigned you may get this you know I was campaigning twenty four seven. I had been in New York, dealing with New Yorkers, literally for days and days and days. I flew out that morning, did his podcast, and flew back. So I flew to California, did his button left. So he doesn't understand how New York works, and I talked to him like he was a New Yorker. So no New Yorker thinks that, that teachers are going to, you know, lose their money or lose their jobs. We're the most unionized state in the entire country. And our teachers make an average of $80,000 per year. He doesn't know that. So he was like, you guys might like be like Kansas or Kentucky. which just make $18,000, not 80, and they can be fired or removed or, you know, the unions are struggling. So he didn't get what New York was like, and I didn't prep him. That's why that failed. What I should yeah. have said is, let me tell you how New York works. And then mm-hmm. he would have never asked those questions. He wouldn't have fought as much. It was my fault for just not knowing my audience. My audience was a New York audience for literally weeks in advance and then went right back to being in New York. I just, I didn't get my audience. It was my fault for my poor communication. Yeah. I mean, from, our, from a lot of outside listeners' perspective, it, we wanted to blame Joe. <laughs> because I've heard you talk a million times. You're very convincing. Uh, you're always very inspiring. And so it was frustrating to me. I, I didn't know who really dropped the ball there. So no, it was for anybody, yeah, for anybody else though, like, uh, you know, let's say our, our 2020 presidential candidate, whoever it is, gets on there. Um, it, what, what would your advice be for them on that one? You know, say, sort of same thing. Like you need to think about the audience, um, that his audience, right? They'll be easier because they'll be national. If I was talking national issues, I wouldn't have had a problem. Yeah. Right? I was talking New York issues in California to a national audience. That's hard. And I should have been better prepared for that, and I wasn't. Yeah. So yeah. that's my fault. But if you're a president's candidate, you're always talking national issues to a national audience. Should be no big deal at all. The only thing, if, if anyone goes on his show and they're a presidential candidate, I would just say loosen up. His loosen audience up. Does, does not want to hear someone who's buttoned up. If you notice, when you deal with, anyone, and when you deal with a younger crowd, right, mm-hmm. in general, the younger crowd, two things. One, they like long form. The younger crowd likes the long form. They don't like the sound bites. Yeah. Number two, they don't like notes. I did my entire campaign, a year and a half, with, without ever having one note. I did two debates, no note. I did every single, if you saw every single, you know, long form podcast I did, I never had any notes. I just spoke from the heart every single time. When I did him, it was two hours. Glenn Beck. When I did uh, Dave Rubin, when I did Dave Smith, all of them that I did, I just did off the cuff with no notes. Yeah, and those are great. Those are great. I mean, yeah. Well, that that's that. Oh well. well I hope you get on there again. <laughs> it was kind of good. Yeah, it was well, really cool. I'm, I'm starting my own type of podcast slash radio show too. I'm starting the Sharp Way. 
those of you who care, you can go to sharpway.com to check that out. We're just starting it. We're hoping to get it started by uh, by July 12th is the goal, the, the date we hope to get it started off by. So we're working on that now. There's a, a, a Facebook page. We have a YouTube page up coming up next month. So hopefully we'll get, it, we'll get it started next month where we can be as cool as Joe Rogan or maybe even and, cooler. And what will the content be there? Is it all Liberty stuff or is it just anything? No, not at all. No, it's the, it's the idea of here's how we move forward. It's the sharp way, right? It's not called mm-hmm. the Liberty way. It's called the sharp way. It's, it's all about how we can move forward. There'll be, there'll be uh, shows based upon politics, culture, business, life, career, everything. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's uh, let's kind of let's wrap this one up with uh, there's some listener questions. So we have some. We have some I've, there's, I asked uh, just my personal friends and then just people in the Think Liberty family if they had any questions for you. Um, one one New Yorker got back to us and her name is Megan Crowley Karinga. So she wanted to know what your favorite small town in upstate New York or what was your favorite restaurant slash meal because she noticed you traveled everywhere and went to a lot of well known small restaurants. I did, and that's a hard question to answer because I'll make people angry if I answer incorrectly. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna cheat and say my favorite is Astoria Queens, where I live, and my favorite is Mike's Diner, which is where I live. All right. What about uh, Tony Gross? He's a libertarian from Colorado. He, he he wants to know what are your biggest lessons that you learned from your race as governor. Yeah, many things. Uh, the biggest one is how important money is. I knew money was important. I knew that going in, but man, I didn't know how important it was. People would ask me, say, Larry, why aren't you in the media? And I would say, it's a great question. I'm running, I'm out there, I'm real, I'm raising money, I'm an official candidate, why won't they cover me? And we asked, and they said, oh, you don't buy ads in our paper. Pay to play. I had no idea it was that much pay to play. If you buy ads, they cover you. Makes total sense now, but I didn't know totally. it then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, why am I not in the polls? Well, Larry, don't buy the polls. Polls cost $40,000. Those polls done by, you know, um, Siena or whatever, whatever PAC, whatever it is, they're all bought by PACs, either Democratic PACs or Republican PACs. I didn't realize that. So I thought they did it because they love us. That was silly of me. They do it because some big pack pays them. And of course, those people decide who's in the poll and they decide what questions are asked. So I really have to realize that, that I need to stop buying my own polls. It just goes on how important um, money is. That was from my biggest lesson is understanding how important it was. So that was probably number one. Number two, this is a libertarian special. A lot of people told me they were going to support me. Tons did. <laughs> I thought I was going to raise a whole lot more money. I thought I had a chance early on when I first started an actual chance at victory because I thought I could raise so much money that I could actually make myself, you know, almost a one person race against my governor before the Republican got in because I could raise so much money. Yeah, that wasn't true at all. And what they meant was, Larry, I'll support you if you run as a Republican. The if you run as a Republican piece, I didn't understand. Now I understand. Yeah. Interesting. How about Ken? How did you get on Kennedy then? Uh, like, cause I, did you buy, I mean, cause you, you're, you're already admitting that you didn't, you know, pay to play, so to speak. So yeah, how did that, how did that segue happen? It's called Twitter hounds. Lots and lots of times of people calling, tweeting, emailing, um, uh, Facebooking, putting a lot of time and energy into social media. Remember social media will often bleed over into traditional media. So being very active with lots of people on social media, I often talk, I would tell people, look, if you can afford to donate, please donate. If you can't donate, show up. 
If you can't show up, be my Facebook warrior. Give me something. And, and so were they, were they literally just retweeting at Kennedy saying stuff, stuff like you need to have yes. him on at Glenn yes. that sort of thing. They would retweet. They would do a um, they would do a, um, a a Facebook piece. They would find their Facebook and put comments on their Facebook pages. And this was just done with me asking and people doing it. My directors bugging people. We had some volunteers who would do it, and people just start doing it. And before you know, they'd say, "Oh, okay, I have on." That's how I got on Joe Rogan. That's how I got on Dave Rubin. That's how I got on Kennedy's. How I got on most of my stuff was that. And, of course, I had a communications team. I had a communications director and two or three people who would literally send emails or send notes or, you know, reach out to them with phone calls. Yes, it was constantly doing which is why you have to have a team. Right. right. If you don't have a team, you're not getting on those. Did you have did – you, did you, were you reaching out to people specifically – uh, to be on your team at first, and then to just sort of snowball from there? Yeah, or, that was yeah. correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Good deal. Uh, let's see here. What else do we got? Stephen Babka would like to know, um, and you've kind of already touched on this, but what does the future hold for you? And my question, piggybacking up his, is are there any other offices you would consider running for, or are you just focused on growing the party at this point? Um, people are asking me if I would run in 2019. I will not. Um, people want me to run for president in 2020. Not going to do it. Would I, would I consider a VP slot? Depending on who's running, I would consider a VP slot. But I'm, I'm not running for president in 2020. There's no way. I, I, I won't have a family. I won't have a, I won't have a family left. Um, 2021, I'm not running in 2021. Um, would I consider running for, for governor in 2022? I'm open for that. Yeah. I'm open, I'm open to running in 2022 for governor again. I am. Yeah. What do you, so speaking of that, speaking of uh, you taking a VP spot, what do you think of the field so far for the candidates who have, who have announced for the Libertarian Party? Um, can, you, can you comment on that? Do you have a favorite? Do you have anybody you really like that you would put your endorsement on at this point? I'm not, would I, you want me to endorse a year out? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. We'll take that as, we'll take that as a no. Libertarian Party. There's going to be people who show up all of a sudden, April, we're going to have, you know, someone come back and go, oh, you've always loved me. I always cared. You know, stop throwing up. You're going to see people stop popping on probably sadly. I, I wish this was not our culture, but it is. We're going to find people running, you know, in, in April and May of next year. It's terrible, but that's going to happen. And when that happens, what I can't stand about it is, and, and this, again, this is a bad culture. We have to break this, is that we have people now who are on, you know, people who have announced people on these, on these people's teams. Well, now we've lost them for someone who's right. going to try to run in, in, in April or May. They're not going to just, you know, abandon a person they've been supporting for six or, or nine months and then jump on someone else's team. And they're going to feel hurt. They're going to feel bothered. All that kind of stuff. And then people are going to feel like usurpers. I mean, just, it's, it's, it's not good. And I, I'm not saying yet because I know that's going to happen. I can only hope that in 2022, I'm sorry, in, 20, in 2024, we don't do that. We actually learn to start running earlier, to have like a real season. So by the time we get to the convention, you know, people, we have all, all the people already there. I don't want this to, you know, pop up and all of a sudden we got Bob Barr as our 2020 nominee or something like that. But do you think the party, sort of the national party, is structured in the wrong way before that? And here's where I'm going with this, Larry. So the Democrats, I, I, I can't remember right offhand. You maybe just, maybe you know, and you can help me fill this in, but. They will select their nominee almost a year ahead of time, I think, right? And then we only have maybe six months before you go pull the lever. 
Somehow no, they, they they actually select theirs. They 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 select theirs officially about um uh about a, a month or so after us, I think. But oh, the okay. is be, because they have because they have the primary system, you kind of know who the person is probably three months before us. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. So they at least have yeah. a little bit of a time advantage there. We're, they do, we're but kinda... something else they have, which is good, is because their heavy hitters begin running early. So mm -hmm. you start seeing them begin to fall apart, right? Like by next February, they're going to start their first, their, their, I think it's February, I think it is, they begin their first primaries. So people will start dropping out by February, March, April. By April, they're pretty much going to know who their nominee is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, and yeah. more importantly, that nominee, whoever it is, has already raised tens of millions of dollars, and whoever else falls back will probably push their money behind that person anyway. So they've been raising money for two years. We, we start raising money like, oh, I won. I, the, the amount of libertarians I heard say this, well, I'm going to wait till I get the nomination before I raise money. Wow. I got the nomination in April of 2018. I started raising money July of 2017. Explain to somebody how, how it works too in this in this regard, because if they're worried about, um, <laughs> I don't know why they were, if they're worried about raising money too early, can't they take that money and pivot and use it for something else? And, and, but I mean, politically, like they could say, oh, I'm now I'm going to... Right, they, right. There's not, there's yes. no harm in what they've done. Then that's why None. they should, they shouldn't be ashamed, right? Just raise no. the money. Raise the money, and as look, as long as you are doing something that you believe is ethical to the people who who gave you the money, that's all I care about, right? Like if you mm -hmm. take the money and go, I'm now going to give it to whatever some Democrat or Republican. When the Libertarians give you money, that's probably unethical. But if you're moving it towards the Liberty Movement, why would you care? As long as you think the people wanted that, right? I'm still raising money. And if you guys want to support me, please go to LarrySharp.com and donate because I'm still crossing the state and I'm raising money and I'm raising money by letting people know because I'm crossing the state to build a party. If that's important to you, then give me money. If it's not, then don't. And some people have stopped giving because that's not what they care about. They wanted me to go win for governor. And some people are like, no, Larry, please keep building the party out so we can change New York. And those people are still giving. Yeah, there you go. You heard it, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, you gotta you gotta keep. You just don't hold back. I mean, at some point, you know, you can turn it into something good if you got the passion. So, well, very cool, Larry. Uh, where can people before before we go? Um, you know, I've got one little thing I'd like to touch on. Is where, where do you where can people go to to follow you and and keep going? You know, following what you're doing right now. Moving Absolutely. Ahead. As I said, I'm starting a sharp way. Go to sharpway.com. That's the website. The Sharp Way with Larry Sharp is the Facebook page. We're building it out right now. The newest thing is that I'm going to be at Freedom Fest July 17th through 20th. I'm going to be there with a booth, and I'm speaking twice, talking about how to talk to libertarians. That's what I'm talking about. So please see me there if you can. Go to the Sharp Way. And, of course, always go to Larry Sharp, come on the Libertarian Facebook page. You can also see me on Larry Sharp Twitter, Sharp Way Twitter, and, of course, LarrySharp.com. Beautiful. Okay, well, before we go, be sure to check out Think Liberty on all social media platforms. Just search Think Liberty on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and any other platforms that you use. And check out our website, thinkliberty.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Think Liberty Podcast Network for almost daily uploads of new shows. Leave us a five-star review and tell a friend. Whether you like it or not, we'll probably be back next week. Thanks again, Larry. Have a good one.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.